to the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Beerman. I apologize for the bit of noise at the beginning of the program. That was actually Marine One, the helicopter in the background. But I wanted you to hear that because I want to take just a few minutes at the beginning of today's program. I know for many, you only hear this program on the weekend. So I do have a handful of stories that you really, really, really need to hear uh, today, no matter where you are listening in the world. Because truth and honesty and integrity matter. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter to the mainstream media much anymore. What you heard there was President Joe Biden denying, once again, his involvement with any of his son's business dealings during the time that he was the Vice President of the United States between 2009 and 2017. We know that Joe Biden has been a serial liar since the beginning of his political career that goes back 50 years. When he ran for president in the 1980s, he made claims about his education that were absolutely not true and a lie. And the media back then at least had enough backbone to call him out and call him the liar that he was. And of course, Joe Biden, well, he didn't become the president, obviously, because the media didn't want him. But then again, it also goes back to something we've talked about on this program. The media had other darlings in mind that they tried to get to be president, and Joe Biden was not one of them, because they knew then that Joe Biden was a somewhat compromised character, and he had a mouth on him, and he would use it, and he would speak, and he could be a problematic individual for the powers that be. In 2020, different story. Joe Biden has aged. There is no doubt in many people's minds that he is slower mentally and physically than he was, and even vastly more compromised ethically than he was in in the 1980s. Now, that can be both a good thing and a bad thing. It's good because those that are controlling your administration or you, and you're just a puppet on a string... They have something over your head. Do it our way or you will not be president. That's simple. And so Joe Biden was the perfect puppet for president in 2020. The deep state, the globalists, they did not want anybody exposing what the real plans are for you and I. You know, the 15-minute city, the global warming baloney that we're going to die and we had the hottest day of the war on record in 125,000 years. This is ridiculous nonsense. A big it's it's like oh it was Joseph Goebbels during the Second World War, Adolf Hitler's propaganda minister that said tell a big 
lie loud enough and long enough, it becomes the truth. The same is true with global warming, formerly global cooling, formerly who knows what. Every major prediction failed, but who, who cares? They just keep telling the lie and there'll be enough people that have been educated in a public school that believe anything you tell them. And that is just a sad fact of life. I want to remind you, and I want to finish this thought for both yesterday's audience and those that only hear the program on the weekend. Now, yesterday, I went out on a limb just a little bit. And I am still out on that limb because I stand by what I said yesterday. I really believe the stage is being set for two things that have been the talking points of the mainstream media, not just in Canada, not just in the United States, not just in the UK, but literally globally. You know, the Putin bad, Zelensky good. The entire Ukrainian war, the entire Biden administration, why Biden should be president. The narrative, even at the mainstream level, is beginning to change. Not because the mainstream media cares about the truth. That's the least they care about. Truth, they don't. What's that? They only believe in an ideology. And that ideology is very much anti-God, anti-family, anti-normalcy. And I really believe it is demonically in, you know, demonically oriented. It is recycled paganisms and recycled pagan religions that are filling the White House, the halls of Congress, governments all over the Western world, believing lies and denying truth. And many are now delusional. But those at the global level are deeply concerned. Their old puppet is not as effective as he could be. And he is compromised. And so they have to make a calculated decision. What do you do here in the United States for the 2024 election? Do you let Joe run for president again? knowing that his abilities have diminished significantly in four years in terms of being able to run for president. They know the mainstream media will be on board to cover and circle the wagons and lie. They do that all the time just fine. But there are too many other stories that are getting outside of the bubble of the mainstream media that are credible stories. And at some point, while the mainstream media is doing a great job of ignoring, ignoring and pretending it didn't happen, putting their head in the sand like an ostrich, pretending that Hunter Biden didn't do anything illegal and Joe Biden knew nothing. Well, they know full well that Joe Biden did know. Joe Biden was on the take and made a lot of money, and it's about to come crashing down. And because the mainstream media here in the United States, including ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, on and on it goes, they're willing to lie because they have no integrity and they have, they have not had integrity in decades. The point is, people are getting their news from other sources. 
and those other sources are becoming more dominant. And so the control of the narrative, especially with Twitter no longer being Twitter, as it once was controlled literally by the government, and Facebook, people take what happens at Facebook with a grain of salt. I don't believe much of what happens there. And you know full well when they suppress a story, it's because it's true. They lied about vaccines. They lied about COVID. They lied about politics. And their phony fact checkers have been found out and people just ignore them. They're a joke. And so the powers that be in the deep state have to make a decision on two major issues, and they have to do it, I believe, within the next six to seven months maximum. We are almost at August, so all we have is August, September, October, November, December, five months in the remainder of this year. This is not like maybe 1968, where you have a little bit more time. Here in the United States, presidential campaigns begin the day after the inauguration. And people are already beginning to decide if they're going to run or not, though they keep denying in the media, well, I'm thinking about it. Well, they, they've they made their mind up. Ron DeSantis made his mind up when he was still running for governor two years ago, which is something that of an annoyance to me as a resident and, and, and a voter in Florida. I really didn't want him to run for president yet. I really didn't. But he did, and I'm disappointed, and he will not get my support, period. You said you're running for governor. That's a four-year job, not a two-year job. And so I cannot support him. I know that the Democrats would love to put him there because they've got their opposition all lined up to go against DeSantis using Gavin Newsom. That is my prediction. Not that I'm a prophet. Don't get me wrong. I am not a prophet. I'm not getting any word of knowledge from God on this. I'm just kind of connecting the dots because I'm looking at stories beginning to shift that normally would not be shifting. Number one, this coming Monday, you've got one of the associates of Hunter Biden testifying behind closed doors on the shady deals. And even though the mainstream media will do their best to ignore it for now, it's becoming obvious that the deep state will use this as a hammer over Biden's head. Here's what I believe. There are two things. Number one, the deep state does not want, does not want Joe Biden to run for president because the odds of his winning are pretty pathetic because there's no way he can he can fix the economy or pretend it's fixed, or, or band-aid it long enough to get through an election cycle. Number two, they don't want him to resign either. They want him to hang in there till, till Inauguration Day in 2025. Why? Very simple. They don't want Kamala Harris as president. They don't even want her near the Oval Office. They don't even want her campaigning as a current president because Biden resigned. It would be even worse. Matter of fact, a lot of people speculate that Kamala Harris was put on the ticket as insurance not to impeach Joe Biden. 
Now, understand impeachment for those around the world. The House of Representatives can impeach all they want. It means nothing unless the Senate convicts. Twice, Trump was impeached on phony garbage. Bill Clinton was impeached in 1998, and nobody left office. And I guarantee you that Biden will be impeached sometime soon. Whoopee. He'll still be in office, but he'll be slightly wounded. And then because of what happens that can't be ignored, the truth will begin to just dribble out about some of the terrible things going on. And Biden will be told by his handlers, you have to make an announcement. We don't want you to resign. You can finish your term. Finish your term. We'll do the best we can to cover for your son, Hunter. And stick around long enough, you can pardon him as well if need be. But you are not going to be the one to run, and you can pardon your son after the election is over in 2024, if that's what needs to happen. But you're not going to be on the ticket, and Kamala Harris is not going to ever be the president of the United States, period. Once again... Her mouth cannot be controlled. And so they're going to do what Democrats did to Lyndon Johnson in 1998. Lyndon Johnson became president in 1963 after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So he finished that small term, a little over a year, And then he ran in 64. Obviously, he would be the choice. But they realized come 1968, Johnson was toxic. No way he could run. And so you know full well the powers that really pull the strings told Johnson in no uncertain terms, just don't run. Don't resign. Just don't run. And all will be fine. Now, he did that in March, end of March of 1968. Today, with presidential stuff happening so much sooner, Biden will have to announce he's not running well before March of next year. And I predict that's what, this is just my connecting the dots, looking at the stories, how things are playing out. Whether it's health, whether it's this, that, it doesn't matter what the reason is. But Biden will decide you know, I'm just going to focus my energy on all the things I promised to do, and I can get it done in this term, and somebody else like a Gavin Newsom can pick up the mantle and do even more for the good of the country. And he will retire with grace, with the understanding that they're not going to come after him for all the despicable things that he's done in selling out his country like a traitor. They'll, they'll do their best to bury it and protect him and his son and his family and his brother and everybody else that goes along with it. And, and so I expect sometime Biden will announce something just like, I played this yesterday, but for those that only hear it on the weekend, Biden will get before the cameras and capitulate just like Lyndon Johnson did on March 31st, 1968. With America's sons in the field far away, with America's future under challenge right here at home, 
with our hopes and the world's hopes for peace and the balance every day. I do not believe that I should devote an hour or a day of my time to any personal partisan causes or to any duties other than the awesome duties of this office, the presidency of your country. Accordingly, I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Now, for the Democrats, this solves two things if Biden does the same. Number one, it pretty well puts a stop to anybody coming after him and they have to focus on the new candidate. Number two, it makes it an open primary so Kamala Harris doesn't stand a snowball's chance in a waffle iron of getting anywhere near the nomination. She won't. And they can choose who they want, and I think they really have in mind Gavin Newsom, and they will do everything they can get away with trying to derail the presidency or the campaign, I should say, of Donald Trump. And in this guy named Jack Smith, the prosecutor going after Donald Trump, he's a known reprobate, sellout, and a liar. He has prosecuted cases that have been overturned by the courts on a regular basis. He has bought sham and phony cases like this one. So wherever you are in the world, let me tell you, they're ignoring what Hunter Biden did for now and what Joe Biden did for now, though that narrative is rapidly changing. And I really think that there's going to be some stuff that'll be leaked out and before the end of this year, maybe first part of next, before the first primaries, and to make sure that his name is not on the ballot, or not for long anyway, Joe Biden will decide for the benefit of the nation and all the work I have to do, and I got to deal with this mess, and, and, and everything will be fine if we get somebody else in. Let's focus on the future, and I'm going to finish my job with all of my ability, and I'm here as your president until the day that I leave. That's what I anticipate happening. There's also one other story that so many around the world have been led to believe some stuff that is not true. Ukraine. All people have heard from the mainstream media, including the intellectually and morally bankrupt BBC, CBC, international news overall, American news media like CNN, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CBC in Canada, ABC in Australia, The war in Ukraine is not going as planned. This war of what I call the military-industrial complex to make money off the people is not going as planned. And they're being exposed. The weapons that NATO has is junk, just garbage from Raytheon and many other companies selling overpriced garbage that doesn't work. And the Russians are having a field day just demolishing it. They also hide the fact that in 2014, during the Obama years, our CIA caused a coup in Ukraine to get in an American-friendly president. Even though they had a president that had been elected, we caused a government change. 
Joe Biden made sure that a, that a very corrupt company was never prosecuted. That would include his son. And now that the you know Ukrainian situation is not going well, the cocaine-sniffing mascot of a president, Zelensky, you know he was loved a couple of, about a year and a half ago. At NATO, he was shunned. Everybody turned their back on him. You know, hey, sorry, we're throwing you under the bus. So Zelensky now is under the bus and and watch everything kind of die as things are dying down a little bit. You're going to start hearing you're going to start hearing things like this war is not winnable. The cost of life is too great. Mark my words on this. Maybe we need to broker a peace deal. Maybe maybe they shouldn't really be a part of NATO in Ukraine after all. And maybe the Russians should keep this land and maybe we should go on and do other things. And Zelensky will be toast. Mark my words. Don't believe your media. If you believe what we're doing here, can we hear from you? Let me know how you listen. Go to our website, truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. You can also support us from there or you can make a check or money order payable to Ancient Word Radio, Ancient Word Radio, Post Office Box 510. Post Office Box 510. The city is Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, zip code 24319. That's 24319. And we will be right back after we take this break. And we're going to change direction just a little bit. So stay with us and don't go away. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The Gospel Coming up. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. When you open up the Gospels, if you read it in Greek, you'd see the word kata. And each gospel is not just the gospel, it's the gospel kata. Kata means according to or by or on the basis of. If you have the gospel, you have the gospel kata Matthew, the gospel kata Mark, kata Luke, kata John. And then the epistles are the gospel kata Paul or Peter or James. The gospel is the gospel with or without us. It's the good news of God. But for people to read it, see it, or have it manifested, it's got to be the gospel kata. According to your unsaved relatives and friends and co-workers, they may never read the gospel, but they need to see it. Kata. They need to see the gospel kata you according to you. They may not be Bible scholars. They may never have never picked up a book or the book, but they'll see it if it becomes the gospel kata, the gospel according to you, by you, through you, or rather. Uh, every time you show them God's love, they're, they're going to be reading the gospel kata. Every time you forgive them or you rejoice when you have no earthly reason to, you're going to be, they're going to be reading the gospel without realizing it. Every time they see your peace or faith or generosity, your love that wasn't there before, your love for them, they're going to see the kata, the gospel kata, according to you. And it doesn't matter if they can read or not. It doesn't matter if they take Bible studies. or not. It doesn't matter what they think of the Bible. They'll be reading it because the gospel translated into their lives will come into their ears and eyes and hearts. So get that gospel into every part of your life because in as much you live it, it'll be translated to the world. The gospel kata, the gospel according to you. Want more? Ask for 
the fifth gospel on CD, or the five gospels. Now, the free gift for you, the sands of Judea to the wings of the cherubim, the awesome mystery of the temple doors on CD. You will love it, and sapphires will bless your socks off. How do you get the gifts free? Easy. Just remember the real name of Jesus, Yeshua. You dial it. That's it. So to get your free gifts, just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. You will be blessed, but call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, I invite you to minister with me, together bringing salvation to God's ancient people and to unreached peoples all over the world, the farthest way you'll ever spread the gospel through short radio. It's amazing. How? Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct. Here's how. Just write to the nice Jewish boy, box 1111. That's in Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's the nice Jewish boy, box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey. 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Khan saying Shalom Alechem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah. Sar Shalom, the Prince of Shalom. This is Truth to Ponder. With Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. We can talk about the news all day long. And the news does impact our lives. Yesterday, I mentioned that, as St. Paul says, this life is but a vapor. But eternity is truly forever. Sometimes we put too much emphasis in politics and the things of this earth. And we don't put the emphasis in the things of God and what he has for his people. I'm a believer that if if it at all possible, here in America in particular and even Canada, if you can homeschool a child or develop a Christian co-op to educate children, you must do it because the schools today are not teaching decent values in many places anymore. Transgenderism is pushed. Homosexuality is celebrated. Are these the morals that you espouse? Are you doing your part as a parent and grandparent in raising a child in the things of God? And I truly believe that it's not happening. It is said that it won't be that many years. I mean, we're talking a handful of years when 70% of young people will no longer identify as Christian. 70%. And of the 30% that do, how many will truly be active? I'm afraid we're coming into a time of the great falling away. Yet the church needs to refocus its effort on the things that God has called the church, which is the body of Christ to do. Now, as many of you know, I am the pastor at Trinity Chapel, a small church we started here in Virginia. Part of the week I spend doing this radio program, yeah, we talk politics, we talk the news, we talk the trends that you need to understand. But the most important thing I can ever share with you is the good news of the gospel. I'd rather be spending more of my time doing that than doing the news, to be quite quite honest. It can be very depressing. Now, this past Sunday at the church, I shared a message on the importance of communion. 
the Lord's Supper that so many churches seldom participate in, and I don't think they understand the fullness of this gift from God. I want you to hear this message, and I want you to learn from this message and realize how important being a member of the body of Christ and communion actually is. So join me in the sanctuary of Trinity Chapel. Well, if you haven't guessed what my topic is for today, it's communion, what I consider in many churches one of the greatest forgotten gifts of God for his people. Because there is a real purpose. And it's more than just a mere symbol. I was talking with a good friend of mine, different denomination. And we agree on a lot of stuff. Believe me, we really do. They would receive me in their church in a heartbeat. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, my only concern is that sometimes people look at things more symbolically than they do in what really is there that the scripture teaches. And it's simple. It's not complicated. It's not mumbo jumbo. It's not kind of black magic. It's just what the Bible says. Faith can be really simple. And what God has to say can be really simple to understand if we just look at what is said. It is true that there is a lot of symbolism in communion. I wear a wedding band. My wife does too. It's a symbol of our marriage. But our marriage is more than a symbol if that makes you following what I'm saying. This represents something greater, this that you can see. If you understand the connection between the Passover and communion, it all begins to tie together. Now I could do a lot of sermons that I have on the Lamb of God, where it comes from, the fulfillment, of all that Jesus did. And one of the things that stands out to me is how Jesus observed that, that Passover. Now, if you understand, and I'm not going to get into all the nuances, but just a little bit. We heard about the children of Israel they were told to sacrifice the lamb, put the blood on the door, and then God would pass over and they would not be, they would not be judged and killed. Jesus is, is, and that is a foreshadowing of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood is what redeems us from our sin. That's pretty well clear in the scripture. That we are saved. Nothing that we did, it's what Christ did for us on the cross. We can't earn it, we can't buy it. We can't even give it away. It's not even ours to give away. Sometimes I wish I could. That night, and this is what is so phenomenal. Remember, in, in the time that Christ walked the face of the earth, a new day began at sundown, not midnight, sundown. So as the sun went down that night, they celebrate the Passover, which is actually the beginning of a new day. So Jesus celebrated the Passover, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, was betrayed, arrested, went before Caiaphas, went before Pilate, was scourged, 
crucified all before the end of that day of Passover, before the sun set again. Between the setting of the sun on the beginning of Passover, Jesus became the Passover. And we sometimes miss that. In that same one day, it wasn't two different days, it was the same day according to the way their tradition was, sundown to sundown. Remember, they had to get Jesus into the tomb before sundown. That's a whole other message I'll give someday too. St. Paul says something to his followers in the city of Corinth. Now, you've got to understand Corinth to understand some of the stuff that St. Paul is writing to these people. That's, that town would make Chicago in the 1920s during Prohibition look like the city of, you know, just young children and angels. Corinth was a very deprived city. It was a sailor's town, too. So just figure it all out. You had temples to prostitutes going on. You had it all going on there. It was an open city of sin. And like I say, it's a port town. And so it's hard to get some of those customs out of the people that were coming to gather as Christians. They're still thinking the way they did in their depraved state. They're still doing some of the stuff that they were doing. They would gather for communion, but they didn't quite understand what they were gathering to do. And so St. Paul, as we shared in this message that he does in this letter, it's like, you guys have got this all wrong. This is not a wine and bread party where you get drunk, which is what was happening. You guys are not understanding there's more to this than just partaking of food and wine and bread and everything else you got going on. No, this needs to be pulled away. This is not just a dinner. Remember, the disciples had already finished the Passover meal when Jesus then took the bread and the wine as we read in Matthew as he brings this, some churches call it an ordinance, some call it a sacrament, I call it a gift from God that he gives to his people to be close to him. I differ from some church bodies that will claim, I'm not Roman Catholic, I'll put it that way, I don't believe in transubstantiation at all. But the one thing I do firmly believe in this symbol is that Jesus is present with us, just like he was with his disciples. The elements are the elements. They are what they are. It's bread. It is wine, juice, whatever is the custom that you're used to. I just believe in the simplicity of what St. Paul said. Now, one of the things that a lot of people have a stumbling block with, and I want to cure, if, if I don't do anything more today in teaching about communion, St. Paul talks about taking communion unworthily. And a lot of people get frightened by that because St. Paul talks about, you know, some of you out there are, are, are taking this unworthily. There's some that are even sick among you because of it. 
what St. Paul is trying, number one, I am not worthy to partake of communion ever. I'm, I'm not. Nobody is. It's not our worthiness that God is looking at as we participate. It's taking it in a worthy manner. Are we respecting? Are we coming to this flippantly? Or are we coming to this sincerely? That's what he's talking about. And the, the Corinthians, once again, you've got to understand that city. You would have thought you were at a karaoke bar when they were coming to communion. This was not a worthy manner of taking it. They were having a party. And St. Paul said, you got your own homes to get drunk in and to eat in and to party in, but not when you gather together as the body of Christ, when you assemble yourselves. So you gotta realize that it's not a, it, this is not the way you have been living all of your lives in this port town. There's a separation. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but just to understand, none of us are worthy. I know I'm not. My job as a pastor, the fancy Bible term is presbyter. You see that in the ancient languages. I teach, I preach, and I bring you these ordinances or sacraments, depending upon your, which language you're more familiar with. Now, the way I've always done it, I know in, in many Baptist churches, they will have this little silver plate they pass and you get your bread out and then they pass these little cups out in the little tray. And a matter of fact, we have a little show and tell today. Many of you are probably used to seeing, if you come out of a Baptist background, and we have them here too, how many are familiar with this thing? Yep, I see a hand out there. And depending on your tradition, you might be more used to seeing something along the lines of this. A patent or plate, chalice, cup. There's a story behind these I'd like to quickly share. Many years ago, after I left the church, after the passing of my first wife, I was going to start a small church. Didn't have a whole lot to start it with. But God provided every step of the way. And one of the members of my prior church knew an artist in Sarasota, Florida that had made that, just didn't know why she was inspired to make it, but she made that cup and that patent and prayed that someday it'll end up being used to open a church. Well, this has been used to open a lot of churches. I have actually mailed it to people that have started and planted churches to use for a period of time. This chalice has traveled more of the United States than most people will ever do in a lifetime. And then it always would come back to me. And yeah, I know in some churches they like the silver and the gold ones and all that. And to me, they didn't have a silver and gold chalice when Jesus and his disciples met. They probably had something not even as nice as this. Hand done, you know, on the wheel. This is hand done on a wheel too, by the way. And so what I plan on doing when we have communion, you're going to show up one Sunday, 
Could be next Sunday. You never know. And to show you how we do it, it's so simple. You'll see this sitting here. It'll be covered. It'll be ready. It'll have that covering. Makes it look better. And then this will be sitting in front just to protect it until we're ready to have communion. And I'm always terrible at setting this thing up from behind. And then the service is just what you heard St. Paul say. A lot of churches can make 20 minutes out of this part of the service. I don't. The words of institution, what did St. Paul say? I tell you as I receive from the Lord that on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, take eat, this is my body given unto you. In the same manner also, then he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the word remembrance is a very powerful word in the Bible, not used very often. The word in the Greek, is not the word that you and I would have like recalling a fond memory. It's a more powerful word that says to bring into the present those things of the past. In other words, be with me on the night in which I was betrayed. Be with me as I'm in the garden. Be with me as I died on the cross. And be with me as I was resurrected from the dead. Participate in the fullness of the Passover. Ironically, what what's the what St. Paul say he is the fulfillment of the Passover? He is the completion of the law. And so when we gather to do this, we remember and we are a part of that living body of Christ. That's what the word church means. It comes from ecclesia. Ecclesia is a fancy Greek word meaning living body of Christ. We are the living body of Christ. On the, that's what the church is, the living body of Christ. Not a building. It's a people. Now, the way I administer communion is so it's really easy to understand. After I'm done and the time has come, yeah, I will have everybody come up and I will just start on one side and I'll hand out the bread. That I'll hand out the small cups for those that prefer the grape juice. We're not going to be... You know, we're not going to make any issue out of what your preference is, and I have, I'll have the cup for those that would prefer to use the, the common cup or dip their bread in the cup. Take your choice. I've had, I'm, I'm so used to doing it in every manner known to mankind. And then when you're done, if you use the little cups, just leave them right here. We go back to our seats and we close the service. I mean, just as the disciples did, we will gather together at the Lord's table and remember and bring into the present those things that the Lord has told us to do. And understand, I remember as a kid learning this big word sacrament. Remember, I came out of a Lutheran, conservative Lutheran background. So that was a big word. And when I finally was getting old enough to take classes in school, I went to a parochial school about communion and the word sacrament. I finally had a definition that even a 10-year-old could understand. It's not some magic 
No, it's just God's means of grace given unto us. Baptism is a means of grace when you think about it. It's a means of his grace to us. It's also we are buried in death with Christ. We're raised to the newness of life. It is both symbolic and it has a positive and it has a beneficial blessing effect on all of us. I know that I was immersed later in life, my choice, when I was... Remember, the Jesus movement was a pretty powerful thing back in the 70s. And I was caught up in it. And I can remember really coming to that understanding of who God really is in my life. And I wanted to make that testimony known to others. It's not that I'm making a mockery of the baptism I didn't remember as a kid. It's just that I knew that I had to do this. And I can tell you the water in Havana ravine in upstate New York, even if it is July, is still ice cold. I'll never forget that as long as I live. As us candidates stood on the side of this little pool of water on a, on a mountain creek fed by a stream. And there's an area that had like a natural, almost like pool where the water came in one side and gently went out the other. But it was cold. I knew when I, was, when I came out of that water, I was a different person than when I went in. I knew God had a call on my life. I just evaded it for successfully for almost 20 years. You can't evade it. You end up answering it someday. So here we are in this little church. And, and when you start a church like this, you know, coming with a non-denominational label Everybody has no idea about what do you all believe? What do you think? What do you think about this? That? I, I go with the basic creeds that the church has had since the first century that virtually I can't think of any church denomination that I know of, whether you're Christian Missionary Alliance, Baptist, old-time Presbyterian, old-time Methodist, old-time Lutheran, old-time whatever, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and to even an extent the Athanasian Creed that came later, they're simple statements of faith, all based every, every line from Scripture. Nothing added. Everything is from the Scripture. It's just a testimony of who we are and what we stand for. And so, like I say, you'll, I would like you to experience this wonderful gift of God. I shed some denominational labels and rules and regulations a while back. I'm still in good fellowship with a lot of my friends in those backgrounds, and I have found a church body that, that I reside my credentials in that is comforting because they allow me to be a pastor of a church, meet the needs of the people, and not be a legalist. What a wonderful concept that can be. What is the Bible? If the Bible doesn't speak against it, why should we? If you're not doing anything that is hurting the faith, why should you worry about it? If you are teaching in the faith and you're keeping these basics, and that's what it's about. Look, too many legalistic churches are watching their numbers drop like a rock. I read an article this morning, a matter of fact. In a few years, only 30% of young people today as they get into their 20s and 30s, only 30% will identify as Christians in just a handful of years. Five to 10. 70% will not. And of the 30% that do, half of them won't even participate. It'll be a name only. 
Oh, my family was this, my family was that. I guess I'm one. I guess if I live a good life, you know, we've heard that one before. There's a lot of work to be done out there. Somebody said, when you start a church like this with small numbers, do you ever get discouraged? The flesh does. My spirit doesn't. Because I understand something else. We started this church intentionally at the worst time of the year to start a church, knowing we could start a church. And God, I thought about waiting a little longer, but no, it was just do it now. And we pushed it. We wanted to be started by June, end of May, June. And the date got set for June the 4th, and we stayed with that. And I've trusted God. I know that right now I'm educating and working with a core of the leadership of this church is what I'm looking at here today. I started one other, a couple of other churches, and I can remember those early days when there were the small numbers. And as I look back at that church years later, those that were there at the beginning ended up being the leaders of that church. They're the ones that took on the positions of, you know, church council, uh, you name whatever title you want to give it, treasurers and all that. They, they took on those roles. And then that freed me up to do the things of then growing to the next level and the next level and the next. And then God brings in the next group of people to take on the next new set of responsibilities you didn't have the first time because you were too small to need them. And you watch how God unfolds his church. Now I'm going to close on this. We'll gather, and yeah, I'll do a better job setting that up. I, I never do it well from behind. And no, there's no big mystery. It's no big secret. It's no big hocus pocus. I remember one guy had this line, Domini Nocus or something. It's none of that stuff. It, it is just simply we come to his table. If I can find a version of it to hear in the background as we commune, there's a contemporary version of a very old communion hymn. And I hope to be able to have it on the screen and playing quietly as we commune. It's, I come, O Savior, to thy table, for weak and weary is my soul. Thy bread of life alone art able to satisfy and make me whole. Lord, may thy body and thy blood before my soul the highest good. There's a contemporary version that I've heard acoustically that has all the verses. And it really, it is the message of, of the simplicity of communion. Not the complexity a lot of churches try to give it. The simplicity. Lord, I'm not worthy to be here, but I'm here. I'm not worthy of your salvation, your blessings, your love, your kindness toward me, but I'm here. I believe you are the Passover lamb and I believe because of your blood, just as David experienced, and that's why I wanted that Psalm today with those lines. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with your free spirit, amen. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we gathered here today. And Lord, I pray that what I said made sense, that it came out the way it needed to come out. Lord, I have wrestled with this. I have prayed about this. And Lord, I still am dependent upon you for each of the things we do in this church. I'm thankful for everybody that has come here today to hear from your word, to be in your presence. Lord, I know that many people here have needs. Whether the needs be health, whether the needs be temporal, whether the needs be spiritual, whether the needs be within their family, the things that they, they feel led and called to do, that they're having a hard time to respond. Lord, I know that you are faithful to hear and answer our prayers. And Lord, I pray, I pray that every one of us can grow together under the Lordship of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all of the congregation said, Amen and Amen. I come, O Savior, to your table For weak and weary is my soul O Jesus, you alone are able Satisfy and make me whole Lord, may your body and your blood Be for my soul the highest good Lord, may your body and your blood Be for my soul
Ponder with Bob Beerman. Hey, listen, our time is just about up for today. And I want to thank you for listening. I know many of you only hear the program on the weekends, particularly from the Voice of Hope out of Zambia in East Africa. Many just on some of the radio stations only on the weekend. But I want to thank all of you that pray for this ministry. Listen, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we talk the news. And we try to give it to you in the light of God's word and from a truly and distinctly Christian worldview. But I try also to spend time like we just did. Getting into God's word, a message from God's word to encourage and strengthen you going through these times. Hearing nothing but bad news, what good does it really accomplish? Not much. As Christians, we have hope. And I want you to have hope. And that's why this program, it deals with the issues of the day, but we do take the time to get into God's Word. Now, the radio program is separate from the church. The church is truly a church ministry, and I want to keep it that way. But I still want to remain on the radio, and that's where I need your help. Maybe you've listened for a while on shortwave or as a podcast. Would you consider giving us your support today? You can go to the website, truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder.com. There's a tab about the church. There's also a tab on how to support us or make a check or money order payable to Ancient Word Radio, Ancient Word Radio, mailing address, post office box 510, post office box 510, the city is Chilhowee, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowee, Virginia. Zip code is 24319. Once again, post office box 510, Chilhowee, Virginia, zip code 24319. And until next week, when we get back together again, may God richly bless you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.